Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Well, as you have guessed by now, we start a new series today called Life Apps. All of us have smartphones, it seems, and we love to press those buttons and download new apps. And isn't it fun when you find an app that's going to make your life amazing? And then you download that bad boy and realize, wait a minute, i got to actually do stuff here. And um, it'd be interesting to know what percentage of the apps we have on our phone that we downloaded to make life easier that we either never employed or it made our lives harder. I, I don't know how you could quantify that, but it'd be interesting to know. For the next five weeks, actually six counting today, we're going to talk about some specific applications for Christians in the Bible. And the reason I say for Christians is that if you're not a Christian, or you're not what you would describe as a religious person or a person who goes to church much, this is great news for you because you get to come and listen to us talk about ourselves for the next uh, six weeks, or at least today. And, and if your wife dragged you in here, this is really great news for you because you can now look at her and say, honey, you should be doing the stuff he's talking about. He wasn't talking to me, he's talking to you. Um, there are specific applications given to us in the scriptures for Christians. But if you're not a Christian, you're, you're welcome to play along. Um, in fact, for some of you, some of these things over the next several weeks, you can obviously try at home. You don't have to be a Bible reader. You don't have to, um, you know, be a, a, a person that describes himself as a Christ follower. These still would apply to you. I was talking to a good friend of mine this week. He attends church here occasionally and um, uh, would, would very openly tell you he is not a Christ follower. Um, doesn't really, I don't know how much interest there is for him to be a Christ follower, but he and I are friends and had a relationship for a long time. But he, he was talking to me and he said, but Brett, even though I'm not into everything that you guys believe, and even though I don't buy all of it, I still find that things you say help me with leadership. They still help me at work. They, they, there's things that you say to me that matter in my life outside of, of, he didn't say it like this, but outside of a relationship with Christ. So if that describes you as someone who's really not a church person, you don't consider yourself a Christian, um, it's okay. Some of this stuff can still be very, very helpful for you, and uh, I would encourage you to just listen along with us. Because what we're going to discover over the next several weeks is that application really does make all the difference. Believing is fine, intending to do things is fine, but it's what you do that makes all the difference. Application makes all the difference. The other thing you need to know as we go into this, especially if you're new to Christianity or you're new to the Bible, all of the applications or all of the things that are in the Bible that tell us uh, what to do, all the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, you know, all those things that we, we know of that are out there, all the stuff that was given to, to people, to men and women who were already in relationship with God. That's, uh, when I say relationship with God, I don't mean that when God created us, we were all in relationship with God not what I'm talking about. I mean that, that, that you're in a very specific, defined relationship with God. Those, those rules, those thou shalts and thou shalt nots, they apply to you. And uh, you, know, you are familiar with the phrase Old Testament and New Testament. The word testament actually means covenant. Another word that might be used is the word contract. So in the Old Testament, we find Old Testament kind of things like the Ten Commandments and, and all that kind of stuff. All of those commandments and laws were given to a group of people who were in a contractual relationship with God. And then in the New Testament, it's the same way. The New Testament was written to people who are in relationship 
with God through Jesus. Now, that's an important distinction to make, and maybe it's best illustrated this way. When I was raising my kids, I never went next door to my neighbor's house to tell his kids what to do. I don't know if you've ever tried that or not. I don't think that would go over very well in most instances. I, I wouldn't go to my neighbor's house and, and tell the kids, hey, you need to be in bed by 9.30. You need to make sure your homework's done as soon as you get home from school. And you need to get to school early and you need to go to the math teacher's office class because she needs to tutor you with homework. Now, I, you're, for me to go to my neighbors and say that to them, that may all be true, but that's really none of my business, is it? Can you imagine the conversation if I called the neighbor's house the night, you know, like 9 o'clock the night before school and, hey, Frank, this is Brett. I just um, wanted to make sure that you make sure that the kids get a good night's sleep and you get them up early and get a good breakfast in them. You know, Junior's got a, got a big test. Frank? Frank? Hello? I mean, he would, I probably wouldn't even get that far with him, right? It would be like, what, what are you doing? So you don't give your neighbor's kids rules. You know why? Because they're not your kids. Because they're, they're not your responsibility. So one of the things that's easy to forget is this. When we open the Bible, all of those rules were given to specific people, and they were given to a specific people that were already in relationship with God. The primary example of this would be the Ten Commandments. This may come as a shock to you, or it, may, it might be a surprise to you, um, but did you know that the Ten Commandments were not given to everybody? They, they weren't. They weren't given to everybody. When Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, he didn't say, these are the rules for everybody in all places at all times. That's not what was going on there. Um, the Ten Commandments were given to the nation of Israel who already had a father-son relationship with God. In fact, it's pretty interesting God delivered the nation of Israel from uh, the bondage that, that they experienced in Egypt. And then he fed them and he housed them, he clothed them, he led them, and God protected them. And then after months and months and months of God's provision and God's leading and God's care and God's protection and, and God looking out for this people, God said, now let me tell you how your life is best lived. And the nation of Israel said, well, of course we want to hear what you would say because you've been so good to us and you've taken such good care of us. So, yes, we want to hear what you have to say. So the Ten Commandments and all the laws of God were given to a specific group of people that already had a relationship with God. That's why at the beginning when I said we're going to talk about these five applications for Christians, it's not that everybody can't do this stuff, but there's a group of us that are supposed to do this stuff because we've already got a relationship with God through Jesus. Now, somewhere along the way, the church got really confused about all this, and it was probably some preacher's fault, so on behalf of all preachers, I'm going to say I'm sorry for it, but somewhere along the way, the church decided that all these rules and all these laws that are in the Bible were for everybody. And, and so the church became very, very judgmental. And maybe one of the reasons that you quit going to church or you gave up on church or maybe you're back or maybe somebody promised you lunch or promised to introduce you to somebody cute, I don't know, if you're not a Christian, I'm not sure why you're here. Maybe it's that you're searching. I hope that's why. I don't, I don't really know why you're here this morning, but one of the pushbacks that you probably have had to church or a church experience in the past is those people are just so incredibly judgmental and you're right 
And the reason that the church people are sometimes judgmental is that they just don't understand the Bible. And what they do is they look in the Bible and they say, oh, the Bible says we're supposed to X, fill in the blank, whatever that is. We're supposed to do that. And then they look at their neighbor, they look at you, and you don't even claim to be a Christian. You know, you, you, you've never claimed to be a Christian. You don't claim to be a believer or a God person. They look at you through the lens of what the Bible says, and they say, you know what? You're not doing this very well. And you feel judged. And it makes you mad, rightfully so. And, and it's so absurd because here's what the New Testament actually says. The New Testament actually says that insiders, the people who believe in God and go to church and believe in Jesus, it says that insiders are not supposed to judge the outsiders. Because that would be the same thing as me trying to tell my neighbor's kids what they should do. It's none of my business what the neighbor kids do unless they're doing it in my yard, right? Then I might have something to say about it. And in the same way, those of us who are church people or Christians or Christ followers, we, we have no right in the world to look at people who are outside the faith and to look at them and to judge their behavior or, or anything that's going on in their life based on what the Bible says, because the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible was given to people who are in relationship with God, to people who've decided, hey, I'm going to be a follower of Christ, I'm going to follow God, and these things are going to be important to me. And so somewhere along the line, it got way out of whack. And that's why a lot of people who don't go to church, that's why a lot of people who are driving up and down Lafayette Avenue today, they look at a church and they're like, I, I don't want anything to do with that because they got judged somewhere along the line and they didn't think they should have been because it, it wasn't something that should have applied to them. So if you have ever felt judged by a church person, I just want you to know that's not your fault, that's the church person's fault. You're not accountable. Again, I'm talking to non-Christians. You're not accountable for what the Bible teaches. That's absurd to think that if you didn't sign up for it, that you, you said, you know, basically you would say, I didn't volunteer to come under that rule. So I just want to get that kind of out and in the open. It would be like me walking into where you work and saying, hey, everybody, tomorrow I want you to show up a half hour early. Somebody's going to look at me and say, who are you and where did you come from and by what authority do you think you can come in here and say things like that? It just, I would have no authority over someone like that and it would be ridiculous for me to come into your place of business and try to um, lay down the law like that. But for some reason, for generations, the church has had this tendency to judge outsiders when the Bible clearly teaches that is not our responsibility. So all that to say this, if you're a Christian you really need to pay attention for the next several weeks. If you're not a Christian, you get a pass. You get to pick which of these applications you think might be helpful for you and which ones you think you'd rather just take a pass on and which ones don't apply to you. This is free information for you. But if you're, you're, you're not going to be accountable because you've never decided to follow Jesus. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about these five life applications. To get us started today, I want you to turn to James chapter 1. Okay, James chapter 1. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the importance and the significance of application. Because at the end of the day, it's what you do that matters. Doing makes the difference. Believing is a good first step, but you can believe all you want. Until you begin doing, there's really no difference in your life. Now, there are two people who really hammered 
the, these ideas. The, the first one you might expect was Jesus. The second was his brother, James. And can I, I, I know I do this every time James comes up, but it's just, I have to do this. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? Can you imagine the stories you would tell if you grew up? And can you imagine how frustrating it would be being the brother of Jesus? I just wonder how many times this question got asked in Jesus' house as everybody was around Jesus as he grew up. You know what the question would be? You think you're perfect, don't you? You just think you're perfect. Yeah, Jesus never makes a mistake. Jesus never gets in trouble. You know, I mean, can you imagine how many times Jesus got falsely accused by his brothers just to see him, you know, hoping mom and dad would whoop him because he'd done something he wasn't supposed to do. And I, I know I've said this before, but the fact that James, the brother of Jesus, became a Christian says a lot. Let me ask you this question. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God? Think about it. Listen, I love my brother dearly. All right, I do. I love my brother. But there is no, nothing my brother could do that would ever convince me that he was the son of God. It's just not going to happen. James comes to the conclusion that his brother was actually the son of God. That's amazing to me. I don't, if, if you're not a Christian and you've, never th- and you've thought about God, but you know, I don't know, really know what I think about Jesus, ask yourself the question, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? That's what James thought. Okay, and, and, and James went to his grave saying, my brother was the son of God. So this is something for you to think about. Uh, James has a lot to say about the significance of application, that what you do makes all the difference. We're going to pick it up in James chapter 1, verse 22, and it says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. And to me, this is incredible because this is relevant to us 2,000 years after it's been written. It seems hard to believe that anything could be, but... The Bible's full of stuff like this. Here's the implication. He says there's a tension between those who, who are in, if, if there's a tension with those that go to church and they listen, and in listening, they deceive themselves. To which we ask the question, what do you mean merely listening results in deception? What, I mean, what are, you, what are you talking about? What does it mean to be a mere listener and somehow deceive ourselves? And he's going to tell us. He's about to tell us that this happens every single Sunday in every single church. In fact, the, the odds are very high that it's happening right now even for someone in the room. It's probably happening right this very minute because there's a sense today, much the same that there was 2,000 years ago, where people thought, if I'm in the building, I get credit. It, it, you know, if, if I'm in the church building or the synagogue, that God looks down and goes, <gasps> They're in church. They're in church. Hey, better parking spot for her on Thursday at the mall. She's at church. Write that down. Make a note. Better parking spot for her. He get, they're going to hear his idea on Wednesday at the office. You hear that? Make sure that they hear his idea. Oh, she's in church. Make sure she gets a good grade on Tuesday. Well, make sure she gets a good grade because she was at church. Whatever it is, we think that God looks down on us and says, I'm just so happy that you're in the building. What is it in us that thinks that because we're in the building, enduring the sermon, and let's be honest, you know, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I know you. I know you. There's some of you that come to church and you're like, okay, we're going to endure this, right? What, what is it in us that makes us think that if we endure the sermon, God, I stayed awake for 90%. 
of that sermon today. And, and I even paid attention to 70% of it. I was actually paying attention. I wasn't texting and I wasn't on my phone. I wasn't counting the lights and I wasn't looking at something weird up on the stage. You know, I was actually, God, I was engaged. So we think in American culture, and this was the same in the Jewish culture 2,000 years ago, we think that God somehow gives us credit for having gotten ourselves up walking in here and listening to the sermon. And we think we're more religious and we think we're more spiritual than people who haven't done that. And here's something that happens in church when you come to church. And I'm, I'm preaching something really practical. You know, I, I don't, I've been preaching since I was a teenager, literally. Um, my first sermon was at a retreat. My pastor, my youth pastor, helped me prepare a sermon, if you want to call it that. But, but I've been preaching since I was a teenager. And um, I try not to like pin my ears back and yell and scream and foam at the mouth and point fingers, but once in a while I will be preaching something that's very convicting and, and very, you know, kind of what preachers, people call it stepping on toes, right? And I'll, I'll preach something that's convicting and, and, and sometimes on the way out you'll feel bad about yourself. It's just this amazing thing. It, it's, have you ever gone to church and you, you feel bad about yourself? And, and sometimes when I do that, even now, if I really, and I'm, I'm like, man, I hope they're not mad at me. And you're walking out, you're going, oh, pastor. Oh, that was so wonderful. Oh, I needed to hear that so bad. You know, that just hit me right where I, right where I needed to be. And, and it's like you've had this religious experience because you came into church and I unloaded on you and you're leaving and you feel guilty about things. And in American culture, that's just kind of what church has become for a lot of people. We consider that a religious experience. We do. We say, you know, I went to church and I felt like a complete loser as a husband. I just felt like I was not a good mom. And I went to church and I felt like I'm not a very good follower of Jesus. I went to church, I felt bad about myself. And when I feel bad about myself, it's just like it's like a religious experience for me. Like I felt close to God. But I felt bad about myself. And we consider that somehow in America. We've come, we've come to consider that like a good thing. Now, there's another group of you that were raised Catholic, and I don't know what it is about Cross Lane, but ca Catholics love coming to Cross Lane. Um, they, they do. We've got a bunch of you former Catholics coming to Cross Lane, and that's great. I love you. I, 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 it's, it's wonderful. I, I still have Catholics that will come up to me and they'll say, Brett, I'm still Catholic. I still cross myself when I do communion. I'm like, that's cool. I mean, that's fine. Um, but for whatever reason, the Catholics love us here, and we love you guys. But, but, and, and I get this from you, from the things that you've told me. In the Catholic Church, it's, it kind of seems like that guilt has kind of become synonymous with God, right? It's like that you would say, when I think God, I think guilt. I mean, that's just kind of how I was raised. That's kind of how we all kind of went about it. I feel guiltier, and, and when I feel guiltier, I feel like I've had some religious thing going on. And nobody taught you to do that. You know, nobody... There was just this weird thing in our culture and, and that if we listened and we feel something and we're in the house, you know, the church building, it's like, okay, I get credit for doing something religious or something spiritual, and we walk out and we feel better about ourselves and we think we're superior sometimes. We're like, I'm better than you because you didn't even go to church today. You've deceived yourself. You, you think there's something valuable in something that there's no value in whatsoever. Now, you don't want to know who really gets this if you're not a Christian or you're not a church person, you've got to be loving this. In fact, if you're not a church person, and again, I don't know why you're here, but we're glad you're here. 
Now you're hearing all this, and you're, 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 whenever you hear somebody say amen in church, you're like, why do they do that? And you're, you would never be an amen person, but, but you're sitting there listening to me talk to all the Christians, and in your mind, you're thinking to yourself, amen, right? Like, amen, preach it, brother. And, and, and that's not even something that you, you don't even like it when people do that, but right now you're kind of thinking, it. here's why. You don't go to church, and you actually, you're actually at least better and behave better than some Christians you know. And you're so sick and tired of the Christians inviting you to church and talking about their church, and, and you're sick and tired of hearing them invite you to church, and, and, and you're sick and tired of being looked down upon because they go to church and you don't go to church. And here's what you know. You know that what James is saying is the truth. You know that Christ, those Christian friends of yours who don't talk any better, who don't work any harder, who don't study any harder than you, in fact, they cheat just like you do, they, they think about women the same way you do. They look at stuff they shouldn't just like you do. They ex- abuse alcohol sometimes just like you do. And you look at them and you realize James is right because you realize what they don't realize because they think they're better than you because they've been to church and they endured a sermon and they got their kids there and they feel like they're superior to you. They listened. They didn't do anything with it. But they listened, and and James says they've deceived themselves. And you, as an outsider, look at them, and you say, you Christians are so self-deceived. You somehow think you're a better person than me because you got up earlier than me, you endured some traffic, you sat through a boring sermon, and, and you came home, and they want to say, you're not better than me. And James, the brother of Jesus, would say, high five, amen, you're exactly right. They're no better than you, and if all they did was listen and feel guilty and throw a couple of dollars in the plate and go home and say, well, at least I had my family in church today, they're no better. Now, aren't you glad you came for this encouraging, uplifting message? It's going to get better, I think, I hope. So James, the brother of Jesus, says this, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says and we respond oh man i can't do that i mean i'll mess up the whole system if i start doing it i mean i gotta feel guilty about it i you know i want to get credit for hearing it and and i want to feel bad about the fact that i don't do what it says if i start doing what it says i won't feel guilty anymore and i won't be as close to god if i start doing what the bible says i have a clear conscience i'm not sure god will have anything to do with me if if he's not making me feel guilty about one thing or another the only time i feel spiritual The only time I feel guilty is when I'm saying I'm sorry all the time. If I start doing this, I'm going to mess the whole religious experience up. And James is going, you are so deceived. Do what it says. You know what we're going to discover? As we move through this series, this whole do what it says thing, we're going to discover that it makes all the difference. Believing is great. But application is what makes the difference. And then James gives us this most amazing illustration of what he's talking about. Verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, which everyone in here did this morning at least once or five times, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And this is extraordinary. Here's what he's saying. In our culture... We have glass mirrors, right? We have all these wonderful glass mirrors, and they're, you know, they're really pretty to look at. They're very detailed, and that's a problem sometimes, right? Because, see, in their culture, 
they, they didn't have glass mirrors. They had maybe a piece of metal, a piece of bronze, maybe a piece of polished tin. And in a lot of instances, the closest thing they had to a mirror was their wash bucket. They had water in for when they woke up in the morning. They would carry that bucket of water out and put it in the sun. And the, the light would hit the water and they would look over the edge and they would see their first reflection of themselves in the day. And for some of them, that's as good as it got. I mean, that was the best thing, closest thing to a mirror that they had. And James is saying, a person who sits in rows and listens to a sermon and says, oh, wow, I need to do that. Oh, wow, I need to, I need to stop doing that. Oh, wow. And then walks out and doesn't do anything about it. He says, that's like getting up in the morning, walking into the bathroom and saying, oh, wow. And then leaving and not doing anything about what you saw, what you saw just going on about your day. Now, when you're 10... Mirrors don't mean as much, right? I mean, we, we, we help out over at Terrytown School. Bless those little kids' hearts. I mean, we got kids over there in all kinds of circumstances and, and things. But some of those poor kids, it is clear that they did not look in the mirror when they left the house, right? I mean, they are mop-headed. They are bedhead like crazy. I mean, I just sometimes I just like watching those little rascals go up and down the hall like, man, I don't think a comb's touched that head in like two days, right? And he's happy. He doesn't care. But when we get like 13, 14, 15, then all of a sudden we start noticing girls. And it's amazing how combs start hitting our head and, and we put on, you know, aftershave and we shave even though we don't think we need to shave. You know, because that's always a big thing for us guys. We want to get dad's uh, foam on, you know, and, and shave it off. And, and uh, you know, when you're 13 or 14, you start doing that a little bit. In fact, I think, think about the money that you spent on, on the oh wow, when you look in the mirror, oh wow. Think about the money you've spent, not just the money you've spent, think about the stuff on your bathroom countertop that you have purchased and amassed like, like nuclear arms, right, to, to deal with that oh wow moment when you look in the mirror and you go, oh wow. In fact, some of you, when you travel, you have an oh wow bag, don't you? that you don't even think about. And I had one guy walk out this morning and he said, the problem, Brett, with that bag is the older I get, the more stuff goes in it. I can't hardly lift the bag anymore. I mean, that's us, right? We're, it's like, oh, wow, I gotta have all this stuff. So, so that when you wake up, you, you, you say, oh, wow. You, you work on it. You're, you're gonna fix it. You say, I can't let people see me like that. And do you know when you quit? When you look in the mirror in the morning, you quit when it's all perfect. When you go, oh, that looks great. Oh, I look good. Right? That's when you quit. James says, unfortunately, you spend, you've spent more time and you have more commitment to fixing something that you see in a physical mirror than you do fixing what's in the mirror of your heart. And you go, oh, wow, I need to work on that. Oh, wow, I need to quit doing that. Oh, wow, I need to be more disciplined there. Oh, wow, I need to be kinder. Oh, wow, I need to quit yelling at my mom. Oh, wow, I need to study harder. Oh, wow, I really need to not drink so much alcohol. Oh, wow, but I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm just going to say, oh, wow, a lot. And James is talking to us, and remember, if you're here and you're not a Christian, he's not talking to you. You apply as much or as little of this as you want, but for Christians, he's saying, look, you're more committed to doing the things that really don't make that much difference in the world than you are the things that make a huge difference. 
Whether you get every hair in place or not, or your makeup is perfect, has nothing to do with the direction or the quality of your life. But what the Bible teaches you about your money, your morality, your relationships, your marriage, the way you treat your kids, the way you treat your boss, the way you handle, you know, respect your parents, the way you work, your integrity, all those things determine the direction and the quality of your life. And you're more committed to fixing the things you see in a physical mirror than you are to fixing the things that matter much, much more. And he's saying, hey, you're, you're just, you're deceiving yourself because you show up to church and you look awesome and you don't behave awesome and, you don't, and, and yet you think you're awesome. And James says, you, you got it wrong. You're, you're totally deceived. So think about this. I'll bet the moment or the night or the month or the season in your life that you look back on and you say, oh, I would give anything to have that moment back. I, I would give anything to have that season back. Man, I think back to, to that. I, I, I would give anything to have that season back. I would have made a couple of decisions different. I, I would have done some things Different. If I could just go back to that one night, I would totally redirect my whole life. If I could just get back to that one week, if I could just go back there, and it would make a difference. That one season in my junior year of college, man, Brad, if I could just have that back. Or my freshman year, that, that year I moved away from home. If I could just go back to that one season, that one moment, that one night. Man, I would redo that. And I'll bet, I'll bet you anything if we were to go back and look at you in that season of your life as you just thought about that moment in your life where you wish you could go back, that one night, that one week, I'll bet your hair looked awesome. I'll bet your makeup was perfect. In fact, that was part of the problem, wasn't it? It was so perfect, you, you behaved improperly. And you, you did some things, and you maybe said some things or decided some things, and, and if you could go back now, you would change it. And you look back and you go, oh, man. And it did nothing to direct the quality of your life and direction of your life, but your lack of application got you into a mess, and you deceived yourself. In fact, you know what we do? And if you're a church person, come on. If you're not, go ahead and point a finger at us, okay? Because we deserve it. It's like the guy that gets up in the morning and he starts religious talk. You know, if you know me very well, you know I don't like any of that. But here's what religious talk might sound like to us, okay? We, we wake up and we look in the mirror and it's like I would wake up and look in the mirror and go, oh, man, I need to shave. But I don't shave. I just go on to work, and somebody says, Brett, did you shave this morning? No, I, I, I really need to shave. You're right. No, I, I really need to shave. And then I go to small group. My small group's coming into the house, and they're looking at me, and they say, Brett, did you shave this morning? No, I didn't shave. In fact, would you pray for me? I mean, I know I need to. I, I saw it. Somebody else this morning said something. Dee told me this morning before I left I needed to shave. In fact, can we just pray for me tonight? Could you just be, put me on the prayer list because I really need to shave? And you'd be like, well, Brett, why don't you just go shave? 
No, I don't want to do something. I just want to feel bad about it, right? I just want to be able to say, I just want to be a prayer request. I just want you to pray for me so you can go talk about me. You would say, Brad, just look in the mirror and deal with what you see. Some of you, come on. (laughs) Some of you have been carrying around the same old stupid habit and overindulgences and lack of discipline for years. And every time it comes up, you go, yeah, I really need to work on that. And it's like you feel closer to God because at least I'm honest. At least I'm transparent and tell you that I know I need to work on it, but you never work on it. And James says, honest and transparent, you're deceiving yourself because it's not doing you any good to just say you need to do it because application is everything. It's what you do. It's not what you intend to do, not what you ought to do, not what God convicts you to do that matters. And then he comes to a great part of the verse. It's confusing on the surface, but it's brilliant. Verse 25, but, which anytime you see the word but in the Bible, there's a contrast coming. There's a contrast between to those who look good in the mirror and those who don't do anything. But whoever looks intently, and by the way, we know way more about intently than they did, right? We, we, we've got intently down. Some of you ladies, you have an intently mirror. You know what it is? It's got lights around it. It's high definition. You can see individual pores on your face because they are blown up like moon craters, right? In fact, if you tilt your head the right way, you can look all the way up your nostril right into your brain. Right? I mean, that, you, you've got a mirror that you can look intently. When I say intently, you're like, Brett, oh, I know all about intently. It has all these pretty lights around it. A look intently mirror makes everything look huge. He says, but whoever looks intently, in other words, I'm not going to leave until I get it just right. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, he's talking about the Bible, and in this case, the Old Testament, by this time, the teachings of Jesus are floating around. The, 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 the teachings of Paul are starting to float around a little bit and kind of viewed a little bit of Scripture. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that, and here's how the brother of Jesus, James, describes the Bible. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that, and let's say this together, gives freedom. One more time. Gives freedom. To which we say, <laughs> okay, wait, 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 wait. When I think about all the do's and don'ts in the Bible, and I think about all the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, Brett, I do not think freedom. I think constrained. I think restricted. I think rules. I think I can't move or breathe. I think I'm not going to have any fun. I think I'm going to be poor. I hear, shout not, shout not, shout not. In fact, Brett, i got to tell you, when I think about the Bible, my pushback on all this application stuff, when I think about applying Scripture, I think about having to give things up. I don't think about freedom. I think the opposite of freedom. I feel like somebody's putting shackles around my wrists or around my ankles and forcing me into a lifestyle that just does not seem like a lot of fun. In fact, Brett, if I'm totally honest, it seems dreadful to me. 
So Brett, how does James get away with saying, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom? Another translation is that gives liberty. Some of you, some of us were raised and we were taught that if you have a dollar, that you should give 10% of it away, you should save 10%, and you can live on the rest. Now, not all of you were taught that way, but some of us, that's how we were raised. And, and some, some, some people have implemented that, and some haven't. But, but we were taught when you get a dollar, you, you give some away, 10% of it, you, you save 10% of it, you live on the rest of it. And that was fine as long as it was a dollar, right? But what happens to us as we get older is, is we make more money. And some of you are right now making more money than you've ever made in your life. And, so, and you know, we get to that place where now we're not talking about a dollar, we're talking about hundreds of dollars. And when we talk about hundreds of dollars and we talk about giving away hundreds of dollars and saving hundreds of dollars and then living on the rest, well, that seemed hard. And that didn't... That, for those of you who practiced that, that didn't feel like freedom. It, it didn't feel like freedom at the beginning when you were stroking a big church check and putting it in the church offering plate and you're going, man, I, I don't know what they're talking about. This does not feel like freedom. felt like somebody taking money away from you is what it felt like. But you continued to do it anyway because you were committed to it and God wanted you to do it and you thought, well, if God wants me to do it, then I'm going to do it. And so you kept doing it. And in the early years, it did not seem like freedom, but it has resulted in financial freedom for you, hasn't it? And, and those of you who do that regularly, you would stand up readily and say, yes, Brett, I know financial freedom because that's a practice that I have practiced my entire life. That's an application I have made. In fact, for those of you who are saddled with a bunch of debt and, and you, you haven't practiced what I just talked about, but you, you basically, and you don't have any margin in, in your financial life it's all just you know it's it's just money chasing money and you, you you never really feel like you're on top of it that doesn't feel like freedom does it you, you wouldn't say that you have financial freedom but you know what early on in your finances you decided that you had freedom where your money was concerned and you could spend it however you wanted it and it did not result in more freedom for you it resulted in bondage and sometimes it's not the initial feeling, sometimes it's not immediate, but sometimes it's the ultimate freedom of saying yes to God and no to ourselves. It may look restricting in the beginning, but it results in freedom. For those of you who might have been uh, sexually active when you were younger, like in high school, college, and you, you had a period you went through and you're like, oh man, and you felt free at the time. But when you look back, you, you, you realize, I, I don't experience freedom. I feel like somebody robbed me of my freedom. James is right. The Bible teaches that our bodies are temples. And it's weird, and I don't know that I am going to explain this very well, but we're told that the Spirit of God lives in our bodies as Christians, as believers in Jesus. And so, therefore, we are to be careful what we do with our bodies, what we put in our bodies. In fact, the Bible says that we are to honor God with our body. And I'm going to say this, and I want, I want an umbrella of grace under what I, I want to sit under an under, umbrella of grace as I say what I'm about to say, because I really need you to hear this next sentence. I'm not putting anybody down, okay? But this has to be said. I have sat with some of you, and you've described for me 
a life that you've lived, and that life has included choices to do alcohol or drugs, and I've sat with you and held your hands and prayed with you and listened as you've sobbed, and you've told me stories about the loss of jobs and the loss of family and the loss of relationships, the loss of marriage, the loss of money, the loss of of kids in some cases. And through tears and weeping and heavy, heavy in the room. And my heart breaks for you. And and when people come to me and they, they pour themselves out like that over in a room, it's just the two of us, and they're just telling me all this stuff, and they come to me, I don't hear any of them saying, freedom! I don't hear that. I hear bondage. I hear people that can't move. I hear people that don't know what to do next. I hear people with regret. And if they could go back, they would have made some different choices and some different decisions about those things. And and the Bible seemed confining at the time that the Bible is freedom that results. It results in freedom if you trust. You've got to trust. Not if you believe. Not if you listen. I've been taught that when someone does something bad to me, I'm to forgive. (laughs) That's not freedom giving. (laughs) It doesn't feel like it. Forgiveness is not intuitive. In fact, Freedom is, or forgiveness is like a triple whammy, right? First of all, you hurt me. Then God comes along and God's saying, forgive him. And I'm like, forgive him? God, sick him. I don't let him get away with that. You're going to let, I mean, you're ganging up on me. They hurt me. Go get them. What are you telling me to forgive them for? God's like, no, I want you to, I want you to forgive them. And then I forgive and I'm basically letting them off the hook, right? Isn't that what forgiveness feels like? Forgiveness feels to us like we're letting somebody off the hook. because it, it, so, so first, they get me. Then God gets me. Then I get myself because who in the world came up with this ridiculous system where I just let them get away with it? And we, we're like, no, this can't be. See, for us, forgiveness seems to work better for us if we wait for them to apologize to us. Three times. Three times. And I want them on their knees begging for forgiveness. And once they make restitution and once they admit to all of our friends that they wronged me, and if they get on their knees and beg me for forgiveness, then I might forgive them. And God says, no, you don't need to wait for all that. You just need to decide in your heart, you don't owe me. That's what you're doing when you forgive. You're saying, you don't owe me anymore. See, as long as you don't forgive... You're holding a debt over somebody's head. But when you forgive, what you're saying is, you don't owe me anymore. I'm just going to wipe the slate clean. And we're like, where's the freedom in that? You ever been a slave to anger? You ever had resentment so bad that it just dominated your whole world? There's no freedom in resentment. Freedom, liberty, is found in the non-intuitive exercise of deciding I'm going to forgive them. I'm just telling you, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been doing this for so long. I've talked to so many people. I'm more convinced than ever that James is exactly right. There is liberty, and you don't know it initially. You don't know it initially, but you experience it eventually. You come to a place where you realize, man, the Bible is very life-giving, and it's full of freedom if you just will trust it 
and do it. Then he goes on, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, in other words, they keep looking at it and they keep looking at it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, and I've got this underlined in my Bible, they will be blessed in what they do. Bottom line, application makes all the difference. Doing makes all the difference. You come in here, I, I used to tell the kids this, and it's true. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, right? It's what you do with what you get here that's going to make the difference for you. Not believing, not hearing, not listening, not enduring the sermon, not elbowing the person next to you, not yeah, 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 I know I ought to, I, I ought to. Doing is what makes the difference. And at the end of the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, the sermon that I, I remember my youth pastor was in Bible study with him. We were in his office or sitting in a circle. I'll never forget him saying this. He looked at us and he said, if you just spent the rest of your life trying to live out the Sermon on the Mount, it would occupy the rest of your time. Just live the Sermon on the Mount. I remember thinking, well, that sounds easy. And then one day I realized what the Sermon on the Mount says. And it's like, holy cow. He preached the Sermon on the Mount, summary statement at the end of it, and then we'll wrap up. Matthew 7, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Pause. How much harder is it to build a house on a rock than on sand? It's incredibly hard. God, you want me to forgive them? That's like building a house on a rock. Submit to authority? Are you kidding me? That's like building a house on a rock. Obey my parents. Brett, my parents aren't even Christians. You want me to obey non-believing people? Brett, don't cheat. You don't want me to cheat. How am I going to get ahead if I don't cheat? It's like building a house on a rock. You know, we hear Jesus say all this stuff, and it's like, Jesus, that's hard. It's like trying to build a house on a rock. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. That's why I said it. See, when it's hard at the outset, you realize this is like building a house on a rock. But maybe because God promised at the end that there's freedom as my reward. Can you imagine how strong it is when a house is built on a rock and things start to slam up against it? He, he describes it for us. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about five Christian applications. And you've got to try to do this stuff. And if we're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you're welcome to play along. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. If you're not a Christian, here's my agenda. My agenda is that you would try what we're going to talk about for the next five weeks and that at some point in the whole experience you would say, you know what, there's something to this. I mean, this actually works. And if this actually works, maybe the whole Jesus thing actually works and I'm going to give it a shot. That's my goal. But at least just start by trying to implement what you hear. Again, if you're not a Christian, it's not for you, but you're welcome to play along. Now, This is what this is not about. This is not about you doing all these applications to make yourself feel superior to somebody else. This is not about you downloading all these applications into your life and then you go, I'm better than them. This is not about you mastering the applications 
and then looking at somebody else and saying, you know, you really ought to do that. No, 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 no. You focus on you. You focus on you. Do it for you. Don't do it because you want to show somebody else or teach somebody else or apply it to somebody else. We don't need that. And the non-Christian in the room definitely doesn't need that, okay? We download this stuff for us. We try to do it. There's, there's life in the doing. Let's pray together. God, it's a, it's, so, as is the case with so much of what you do with us, it's a, it's, it's a dichotomy. It doesn't look like it's life-giving to give money away, but somehow, God, you bless the 80% somehow you make it go as far as the hundred if not even further um, it doesn't look like it would be life-giving but it's very life-giving and there's freedom in it and those people who've done it know that it doesn't look life-giving when we're asked to forgive but when we do it's life-giving there's freedom in it we can't explain it doesn't make sense on the surface but as we do it it works God, there's a, so many things like that. And, and even as I've talked this morning, there are people in the room, they know what they need to do. And they've been saying it for years. Yeah, I really need to do that. Father, come behind them and help them to see that application makes all the difference. Not so that they can say they're better, not so they can feel superior to anybody, but so that they can be the most effective version of themselves that they can be. God, would you make us the best version of us that we could be, the version you intended us to be, the version of us that you see, the vision of us that you see. And God, for the person who's not a Christian, I pray that they understand they're in a place that loves them. I pray they understand that we, we really don't think we're better than them. We're forgiven, and we want them to be forgiven. And that's just a matter of receiving the gift of Christ so Father, this week, we very humbly before you tell you we want to represent you well. Help us to do, not to get salvation, not so that you'll love us. You already love us. Help us to do because it matters. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.